Morning, guys. Hey, one thing um, that we didn't tell you about is uh, these uh, daily breads. If you're a person who uses the daily bread as a devotional aid, it's here, it's free, it comes out every quarter, and the new ones are here. So if you want to uh, pick up the daily bread, they're in the foyer, help yourself. It's a great way to just sort of uh, get started having a daily time alone with God and hearing from the Lord and what He wants to say to you. So I encourage you to take, uh, grab one of those on your way out. Um, once upon a time, the nation of Israel was in a remarkably dark place. They had, they had reached the point after walking with God for a long time and seeing God do so much in their midst where there was really nobody left who could remember the days when God was doing the miraculous among them. What they knew about was persecution. What they knew about was wars. What they knew about was difficulty even within the congregation of Israel itself. There were so many people struggling. Um, People had by and large just written God off. There was a, a, a massive nationwide lack of morality. People had turned from God. And as people turned from God, God lifted his blessing off of this nation, and they continued to face times of difficulty and hardship. It was an extremely, extremely dark, dark season for the nation of Israel. Let me read to you. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read to you from Ezekiel chapter 22 and give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Ezekiel is speaking the words of the Lord here, and here's what he says. The word of the Lord came to me saying... Son of man, say to her, Israel, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured lives. They've taken treasure and precious things. They made many widows in the midst of her. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They made no distinction between the holy and the profane, and they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Her prophets have smeared whitewash for them seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and the needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. That is a dark time. The the prophets are saying, thus says the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. The the priests don't even distinguish among themselves between the clean and the unclean. There is profanity among the priesthood. The very people who are supposed to represent God to the people and go before God for the people have just checked out. And for them, it's all about what can I get out of this? It's just a job for them. 
And they have princes, political leaders. And these political leaders see the people not as a flock that they are there to protect and serve, but as people who are there to give to them and line their pockets and help them get where they want to get. And all throughout the land, the people, as a result of this wicked leadership in their lives, have just turned from God. And so the people are unjust. If you're a visitor who comes into Israel, you can expect to be treated badly. If you're a person who is weak or poor or needy, you can expect to be oppressed. And you can also expect that there will be nobody that will have your back. It is an extremely, extremely dark time in the nation of Israel. But all that I read to you is not the worst part. Because in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, it finishes by saying this, And I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. So God is literally saying, I was searching throughout all of Israel. And looking at all of the people of Israel just to find somebody, is there anybody, one of the prophets, one of the priests, one of the princes, one of the people, is there anybody who will come before me and fall on their face and repent? Is there anybody who will cry out? Is there anybody who will stand in the gap, God says? And I looked for all of Israel and out of all of the nation of my people to find one person and I found no one. I think it's one of the saddest statements in all of Scripture. Last week we talked about what's missing in our lives. Talked about what's missing inside each of us. This week I want to talk a little bit about what is missing in the world. What's going on in this world? Because when you listen to this ancient text, about this ancient nation, of something that happened thousands of years ago, and you listen to the description, and you realize that the religious leaders cannot necessarily be trusted because a lot of them are false teachers. And you scratch your head and you say, that sounds familiar, right? And you, and you realize that, that even the political leaders are taking advantage of the people and they are in it for themselves, and you scratch your head and you say, that sounds familiar, right? This nation of Israel was going through a time very similar to what we see happening in Western culture today, where people are turning away from God for a great degree as a, from a lack of leadership. And people are confused and people are hurting and people are frustrated because they've been lied to and taken advantage of. People are distrusting of religion. People are distrusting of religious leaders. People are distrusting of political leaders and they don't know where to turn and it's a dark time. And when I, when I see a situation like that, you know, me, I'm just sort of wired for, for theology I got an office over there just lined with books. I have all these theology volumes. I love to read deeply. I love to read deep works written by wise people who understand deep truth. And so one of, the, one of my absolutely favorite theologians is a guy named Arnold Lobel. You've pro- many of you probably heard of him. One of my favorite books by him is called Frog and Toad Together. 
And so I want to I read to you from Frog and Toad together because you never know where you might find theological nuggets. <laughs> this, and, and I'll, don't worry, I'll show you the pictures. This, book, this chapter is called Dragons and Giants. Frog and Toad were reading a book together. The people in this book are brave, said Toad. They fight dragons and giants and they're never afraid. I wonder if we are brave, said Frog. Frog and Toad looked in a mirror. We look brave, said Frog. Yes, but are we, asked Toad. See, there they are looking in the mirror. Everybody got that? Okay. Frog and Toad went outside. We can try to climb this mountain, said Frog. That should tell us if we're brave. Frog went leaping over rocks and Toad came puffing up behind him. They came to a dark cave. A big snake came out of the cave. Hello, lunch, said the snake. When he saw Frog and Toad, he opened his mouth wide. Frog and Toad jumped away. Toad was shaking. Ah, I, I am not af afraid, he cried. Oh, you want to see the snake? <laughs> they climbed higher and they heard a loud noise. Many large stones were rolling down the mountain. It's an avalanche, cried Toad. Frog and Toad jumped away. Frog was trembling. I am not afraid, he shouted. They came to the top of the mountain. The shadow of a hawk fell over them. Frog and Toad jumped under a rock, and the hawk flew away. We are not afraid, screamed Frog and Toad at the same time. Then they ran down the mountain very fast. They ran past the place where they saw the avalanche. They ran past the place where they saw the snake. They ran all the way to Toad's house. Frog, I am glad to have a brave friend like you, said Toad. And then he jumped into the bed and pulled the covers over his head. <laughs> and I am happy to know a brave person like you, Toad, said Frog. And he jumped into the closet and shut the door. Toad stayed in the bed and Frog stayed in the closet. They stayed there for a very long time, just feeling brave together. The end. Have you ever noticed that sometimes courage is hard to come by? That, that sometimes you, you're really going to have to will yourself to do the courageous thing, even though your heart is beating fast and your knees are shaking? That there are times where the only way for you to get through something is sort of close your eyes and just run hard into it because you just don't have the courage to get there any other way. Courage can be extremely, extremely hard to come by. When I was 10 years old, I, my world revolved around baseball. And uh, I, was, I was bigger than the other kids my age and more advanced. And so they, they moved me up two levels so that I played against the kids that were 12 and 13. And uh, I went from being the superstar to being the little guy that couldn't keep up. And... I got to this place where every time I would go up to bat, I would see a guy that was so much bigger than me, and I would just shake, and I couldn't do anything. Now, as in most little leagues, we had a guy in our league who was related to Goliath. <laughs> At 12 years old, he was shaving twice a day. I think he had a couple of kids. He was a, 
he was a giant guy, right? And, and, and you know, he was uh, legendary because his fastball was something like 250 miles an hour. And I, you're laughing. You think I'm kidding. Look at the picture I have from my Little League days. This is the kid. And, and I'm, I'm 10 years old, and I'm up there. I, I have to face this guy, and the coach sees me in the on-deck circle, and I'm trying to look brave, and I'm swinging the bat, and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. And the coach sees me, and he comes up, and he puts his arm around me, and he says, Doug, you could do this. You can hit this guy. But remember what I told you in practice. Sometimes you have a tendency to bail out. Don't bail out. He's going to throw you that curveball. It's going to be coming right at you, but then it's going to break right over the plate. Don't bail out. Now, don't you bail out. And I got up to bat, and I, and I stood there ready to hit. And I said, don't bail out. Don't bail out. Don't bail out. And this giant threw me this pitch, and it was coming straight at my face. Don't bail out. It's going to break. Wait for it to break. Don't bail out. And you know what? It didn't break. <laughs> and that pitch came straight at my face. And I thought, oh, he meant it's going to break my nose. Now I get it. And I stood there and it was coming right at me until the very last second when I couldn't get out of the way and I just spun out of the way. And it hit me in the wrist right in front of my face. And it, and it hit me. And I went down, sorry, I went down and screamed like a little girl. <laughs> I rolled around in that dirt and cried. I didn't care what my friends thought. I wanted my mommy. <laughs> That's what I wanted. And they took me to the hospital and I got x-rays and all that kind of stuff. And, and I ended up with a bruise on my wrist that was... that the seams of a baseball were tattooed on my wrist. And all I could hear was, don't bail out, don't bail out. And the rest of that season, I don't think I got another hit. Because I was terrified. Sometimes you try, and it doesn't go well. So I learned a lesson that day. You know what my lesson was? Never be courageous. That was my lesson. You're probably just end up getting hurt. You step out on a limb, you're probably going to fall. The limb is likely going to break. Don't be courageous. Never be courageous. And you know what? I think a lot of us have learned that lesson a time or two, haven't we? I mean, haven't we all been through some stuff where you go, I'm never taking another chance like that. I'm never going to put myself out there like that. I am never going to give my heart again like that. I'm never going to trust another person like that. I'm never going to take another chance in business like the one that I took that ended up in bankruptcy. And we just slow down and we back up and we put our hands in and we make sure that nothing bad could ever happen to us again. And when we freeze up like that and say nothing bad will never happen will ever happen to me again guess what something bad is happening to us because we're stuck living in a cage and we've learned this lesson over and over now you may have heard that that I have this thing about changing the world 
I'm just convinced that Christians are supposed to be used by God to change the world. That's why we put up these signs all around, loving God, loving people, changing the world. I want you all to constantly be thinking about the fact that it is normal for us to be used by God to change the world. That should be normal. That's what I think. But you know what? If you're going to be a part of something world-changing, I could promise you this. It is going to take a lot of courage. Maybe about 15 years ago now, I took my first trip to the Far East. I was invited uh, to be the keynote speaker at a big uh, missions conference in South Korea. We had at that time a Korean congregation in our church, and the Korean pastor and I went together. I'd never been to Korea. And it wasn't just going to be Korea. It was going to be Korea for a week and then China for a week. And I had never been to China. And so um, the idea was that we would speak at this conference in South Korea. The most Christian nation in the world per capita is South Korea. Like you go there, you could call it a mission trip, but everybody's a Christian. And so we went there to talk about missions to people in a, in a um, country where 100 years before there were no Christians, and now they're the number one missionary sending country in the world. And we went to encourage them and motivate them to keep sending missionaries out and doing great things for the Lord. But then was going to come the scary part of the trip. And the scary part of the trip was when we would fly into Beijing, where we were going to teach at an underground seminary. Because in China, it's not illegal to be a Christian as long as you're a member of the state-sponsored so-called church. But 99% of the Christians in China are not members of the state church. They are members of the underground church. They meet in hiding. They meet in silence. They meet in small groups. And they don't tell anybody what they're doing because their lives are on the line. And we were invited to teach at an underground seminary where they bring in these pastors for a week and we all live together and we teach 12 to 15 hours a day for five to six days straight until we've given them everything we have to give them and then they go home and we go home. And I had never done anything like this before. I had, I had a bag with several Chinese Bibles in it that I was bringing into the country. You're not supposed to do that. And so we finished our speaking in South Korea and my friend, Pastor Ko, came to me and he said, I have bad news. My father has taken ill here in Korea, and so I'm going to have to stay with him, and you're going to have to go to China by yourself. <laughs> now, listen, um, I don't know if this has ever occurred to you, but as I came into the Beijing airport, this is a city of roughly 15 million people. I come into this massive airport and I'm at the top of an escalator and I'm looking down at thousands and thousands of people in the airport just milling through and I realize I don't look like any of them. <laughs> I mean, to say I stick out like a sore thumb in Beijing is an understatement. And I'm thinking I could be in some real trouble here. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know who I'm meeting. I'm just supposed to wait until someone finds me. I go down the escalator with my bags, I get to the bottom of the escalator, and I stand there like an idiot while people walk past. Eventually, a Chinese man walks up to me, and he says, are you here for the seminary? And I don't know what to say, because if he's a bad guy, I can't say yes. And if he's my ride and I say no, I'm toast, 
right? So I, I said, um, why do you ask? <laughs> and then we had this sort of clandestine conversation, you know, and then Maxwell Smart smoked into his shoe and we figured it out. And he was there to pick me up. And so he puts me in a car and they take me away to this, this high-rise building where they have an apartment. And these are missionaries that are there just trying to, to reach the, the nation of China with the gospel. And they have ties to this underground seminary. And, and about uh, midnight, they come in and they say to me, get ready, we're going to leave in about 15 minutes. Put on dark clothing and bring all your stuff. Okay, midnight, dark clothing, all my stuff. We go out. I get into a car in the middle of the back seat. Now listen, I'm bigger than most Chinese people. They stick me in the middle of this little car and they put two men, on, uh, a man on each side of me and two men in the front. And they said, keep your head down and don't speak. And we drive for an hour into the darkness. I don't know if we went north, south, east, or west. People ask me, where were you when you were in China? I go, China. That's all I know. And we pull up to this um, office building at one, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And there are these men at the gate, in the gate shack, with automatic weapons. And again, they remind me, keep your head down and don't speak. They keep my head down, I don't speak. They exchange some conversation. We go through the gate. And as we're driving into this parking lot, they say to me, when we get there, uh, on three, we will open the doors. We will walk out of the car. You will keep your head down. You will walk directly into that door. You will not stop no matter what. One, two, three. I get out of the car with my head down and I walk toward that door. They take me in this door up a couple flights of stairs to the place where I'm going to spend the next six days. And they tell me this. Here's your podium. When you're teaching... If anyone comes to the door, you will pick up all of your stuff and you will quietly walk into this room. You will go into this closet and into this hidden room inside the closet. And you will stand there in that tiny space until we come and get you. And several times throughout the week, someone came to the door while I was speaking. I grabbed my stuff. I walked in and I stood in this little closet, sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for 45 minutes until they came and got me. And when the time was up, they put me back in the car in dark clothing in the middle of the night, and they took me back to Beijing, and they said, now you're a tourist, go have a good time. And the next day, I was at the Great Wall of China taking pictures. It was an amazing, amazing trip. You know what's interesting about it? I don't know what happened with any of those pastors. They, they, they came, a dozen of them, they came and sat under the teaching of the Word of God and just took notes feverishly for a week and then they went back to their little towns and cities and villages and they tried to share Jesus with people I don't know what happened with them all I know is this that the, the uh, Chinese church has grown by tens of millions since then maybe hundreds of millions we don't have official counts but the church in China is flourishing and God is doing great things and I have no idea what role I may have played in that. All I know is this. I was scared the whole time. But God did something great. And I'm convinced that the world is changing because of that. And what I've learned is that the old saying is true. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is a willingness to stand firm in the face of fear. 
And God does great things when his people are courageous. So you have a choice. When we talk about what's missing, you have a choice. You can either enjoy your salvation and the fellowship of the saints. You can sit around and wait for heaven to come. You can curse the darkness and think about what's going on. You can sit on your couch and watch television for the rest of your lives. Or you could get up and change the world. And we're all faced with that choice on a regular basis. Take your Bibles and open to the Old Testament book of Joshua. Right before you get to Judges, you'll find Joshua. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 1. We're just going to kind of introduce this. Remember, Joshua took over for Moses, and it was Joshua's job to lead the people into the promised land after the exodus. So Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Wouldn't you love to hear that from God? Nobody will ever be able to stand against you. I'll be with you all the time. I will not fail you or forsake you. This is good. But then the tone changes. Verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law of Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn to, uh, from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And every time I read that passage, I think about that coach talking to me in the on-deck circle. You could do this. You could do this. But I know I can't do this. And he knows he's lying to me. And we both know I got no chance against this guy. And yet... He's speaking these words of encouragement to me, saying, come on, Doug, you can do this. Come on, you can do this. And I know I can't do this. You know what the difference is, though, between what's happening with Joshua and what was happening with me on that baseball field? On the baseball field, everyone was trying to convince me that I could do this when I knew I couldn't do this. But that's not what he's saying to Joshua. He's saying, hey, Joshua, be strong and be courageous, God says, because I can do this. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he can do. And, the, and the, the world changing life can never be about what I can do. I don't have the resources to change the world. I only have the hope 
that somehow God will see in me a willing vessel and somehow through me, God will change the world and allow me to be a part of it. But I don't have to sit here and tremble because I'm afraid knowing that I can't do it. Joshua didn't tremble because he was afraid and he knew he couldn't do it. God said, I will do this. I made a promise all the way back to Abraham. And guess what? I'm God. I keep my promises. I have power. I showed you with the parting of the Red Sea. I showed you with the 10 plagues. I showed you with the voice from Mount Zion. I showed you with manna out of heaven. I showed you again and again and again. I have all power and I keep my promises. Joshua, I will do this and you get to be a part of it. Now stop shaking in your sandals and get ready to take these people into my promise. So, Joshua gets ready. Turn to chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its valiant warriors. Okay, let me make sure you understand. Jericho is the most fortified city in the whole region. That's the first city they have to face if they're going to go into the promised land. And when they get there, all they see is towering walls surrounding the entire city. And on top of the walls, warriors with every weapon known to man at that time. And everyone ready. The city is on lockdown. No one goes in. No one comes out. And the greatest warriors they've ever seen are standing on the wall ready to face them. Now, the children of Israel have been in the wilderness for 40 years. And they got nothing. They got rocks and whatever weapons they can make. And they're ready to walk in and fight Jericho. And they stand before this city and God has the audacity to say to Joshua, See, I've given you the city. And if I'm Joshua, I would say, No, I don't see. I see a wall. I see warriors. I see trouble on every side. God says, see, I've given you the city. It takes faith to see. It sometimes takes faith to actually believe enough in what God says that I will take a step as God has called me to take. But so far, this is crazy. And then it becomes totally nuts. Listen to what he says. Verse 3. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do this for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And Joshua thinks, oh, thank God, we have trumpets. <laughs> I thought this was going to be hard, but now, we, now I understand. We have trumpets. Okay, good, right? Um, verse 5, And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. This is nuts. This is arguably the worst military plan in the history of military planning. This is absolutely crazy what God is asking them to do. So let me throw in a warning right now in my message. The warning is this. 
I am not advocating going out there and doing something crazy and calling it God's will and then wondering why it didn't go well. And I've done that. And I'm guessing some of you might have done that. I've seen too many Christians go charging into hell with a water pistol and a Jesus flag saying, we got this. And if God hasn't sent you, you don't got this, right? And, and we have to understand, God was communicating directly to Joshua, just like God communicates to us directly from his word today, right? We're not talking about something Joshua made up or a feeling that he had. And, and what God tells him seems crazy. In this case, God was doing something. He was fulfilling his promise, a promise that he made all the way back to Abraham. This was the promised land, and it was about to come to fruition. And God was going to use Joshua to be a part of this. And here's the difference between Joshua's situation and most of ours. We don't expect God to ever use us to change the world. In all honesty, most of us don't think that's going to happen. I know we come to church every week and read, read the signs on the wall, changing the world, and we go, well, I don't know who's changing the world. Maybe there's a missionary out there somewhere changing the world, but me, I'm just going to work on Monday. I'm just trying to get through. I'm just dog paddling, trying to stay with my head above water here. I don't really see myself changing the world. But God has a pretty good track record of using people to change the world, doesn't he? I mean, Moses was a fugitive and God had to go out to the backside of the desert to dig him up out of the sand and bring him back and lead the people out of Egypt. David was a shepherd boy. God used him to change the, the direction of Israel for the history of the world. Elisha was a farmer. Matthew was a tax collector. Peter was a fisherman. I could go on and on, but my point is this. These people were, were not... God didn't use these people because they were amazing. They were amazing because God used them. Does that make sense? And, and I can promise you that God wants to take little old unimpressive you and in a way you may never know about, change the world. And sometimes he doesn't even show you what's happening. A week in China and then you're gone. I don't know. What happened? I don't know. But it's about God, not about me. You want more examples? Um, we won't turn to these, but you can look them up at home. Daniel chapter 3, the well-known story in Daniel chapter 3, there's these young Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And they're taken before the king. And the king says, look, either you bow down to these idols and renounce your faith, or I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And you're just going to burn to death. And these young men look at the most powerful man in the world and they say to him, listen, if God decides to save us from the fire, he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your idols and we're not going to renounce our king. King gets angry, chucks him in the furnace, Many of you know the story. King looks in the furnace. He threw three in there. And now there's four. And one of them looks like the son of God. Jesus shows up in the flames, delivers them. And the king calls them and they come out 
of the furnace, unsinged, unburned, without even the smell of smoke upon them. And that's an amazing story. It's amazing because they had the courage to do the right thing. It's amazing because when they got thrown in the fire, they didn't burn up. It's amazing because the pre-incarnate Christ met them in the fire. But none of that to me is the most amazing part. The most amazing part is what happens afterwards, where the king turns and looks at those young men and says, surely your God is the only true God. We will worship him from now on. And the most powerful man in the world has his heart changed and leads a whole nation to worship the one true God. All because these three guys, nobody from nowhere, had the courage to trust God. Want another example? How about David? We all know this story. I'm not even going to tell it to you. I'll give you the highlights. Little shepherd boy, he's catering the event. He comes to bring food. To the men who are supposed to be fighting the battle, he sees there is no battle being fought. He hears the giant Goliath taunting and looking for someone to fight against. He says, I'll do it. And after some negotiation, they allow him to do it because not one of those men had the courage to trust God but David. David goes out, picks up some stones, takes one, slings it, hits him right between the eyes. The guy drops like a sack of potatoes. David goes, picks up his sword, and with both hands, chops off his head and lifts up his head before the people. And on that day, the reign of terror of the Philistines ended, and Israel was set free by God. Now, you say, yeah, but that's David. <laughs> yeah. David. The shepherd boy. Nobody. From nowhere. But where does that kind of world-changing courage come from? It doesn't come from believing that you're strong enough to do anything you set your mind to. But it comes from knowing God. And knowing that He is strong enough to do anything He sets His mind to. And that when He speaks, you can trust Him. You know, look at Joshua chapter 1 again. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Skip down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's not giving him a pep talk. He is not telling him, don't worry, you can do this, Joshua. Don't worry, this is what you've trained for all your life. He's saying, Joshua, I know you can't do this. You know you can't do this, but I have good news for you. I'm going to do it, and I'll be with you the whole time. It's not a question of Joshua puffing out his chest and, and building up enough courage. It's a question of Joshua trusting God. In Daniel, in, in the book of Daniel, uh, the story that I just told you about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can write this down in your notes, verses 17 and 18. They say, we know that if our God wills, he will deliver us from this furnace, but even if he does not, we will not bow down. It's not because they thought, oh, we'll figure out a way. Uh, we're going to get out of this somehow. They said, look, we know God and we know he can. Now, I'm not saying he will, but I know he can. And they also had to be thinking, and what's the worst that could happen? 
I'm going to be standing in the presence of God in just a moment. And you know what? They were standing in the presence of God in the midst of the flames. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David knew about God's power. He says, listen, I know that this can be done. You know why? Because when a bear came, God helped me and I defeated the bear. When a lion came, God helped me and I, delivered the lion, I defeated the lion. I know that God can deliver us from this because I've been walking with God all this time and I've seen him do it before. That guy does not scare me because my God is bigger than their giant. See, guys, when we walk with God, we come to know Him. And when we know Him, little by little, I'm not telling you He's going to ask you to fight Goliath tomorrow, but He might ask you to forgive a loved one who's broken your heart. And you're going to have to take that step of faith or shrink back. And if you shrink back, the only thing you'll learn is that you're weak and bitter. But if you step forward in faith, you will learn that God is powerful and that God is trustworthy. And little by little by little by little, God will call you further out onto a limb so that there is no way to survive unless God does it. And when you are out on a limb like that because you have learned that you can trust God, guess what? He changes the world through you. And you get to sit there and watch it and go, wow, what an awesome God we serve. But you will never have world-changing courage based on somebody else's experience. You have to walk with God. I could tell you stories about my experience with God all day long. You can read books about the great people of the faith all day long, and it might encourage you a little bit, but it'll never give you the real courage to step out in faith. You have to do it yourself. And when you begin to walk in faith and you begin to trust him, yeah, but what if I lose this relationship? God says, trust me. Yeah, but what if it costs me my job? God says, trust me. Yeah, but what if this person hurts me again? God says, trust me. And little by little, we trust him and he shows himself strong in little things and eventually in big things. We all have to face giants in our own lives. We all have challenges that are too great for us. We all have needs that are bigger than our resources, and we all have opportunities that are amazing but risky. And the Bible tells us that to please God, we have to walk by faith. And that if we don't walk by faith, we can't please God, and if we don't please God, we can't live successfully. In other words, we're going to have to live out our days as if we really believed that God is who He says He is, and He'll do what He says He'll do. Joshua courageously trusted God, and the Jews moved into the promised land. Those Hebrew boys trusted God, and they were instrumental in God changing the heart of the most powerful man on earth. David courageously trusted God, and the reign of terror of the Philistines ended for Israel. So here's the thing. God wants to change the world. There is no doubt about that. And he wants to do it through you. There's no doubt about that either. So think about this. Has your life become boring and predictable? Are you concerned about the way you see the world going? I mean, there are priests and princes and prophets whose job it is to take care of all that, right? 
Guess what? They're not. Where are those priests and prophets and princes that God can count on? I have searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, but I found no one. My prayer is that God will never have to say that about his people again because we're here. What's missing in this world? A few courageous people who are willing to say yes to God and let him change the world through them. But let's get more personal. What's missing in your life? Maybe it's the courage to be that person. How do you become that person? You take the next small step that God is asking you to take. And one step at a time, you grow. And one step at a time, God changes the world through you. It's an adventure. It's risky. This life with Jesus is risky. If the preacher who led you to Christ didn't tell you that this life with Jesus is risky, I apologize on his behalf. But this life with Jesus is risky. Jesus said it will cost you everything. You're going to have to love me more than you love anybody. You're going to have to follow me wherever I lead. And I don't have a place to lay my head. And you know what? If they nail me to a cross, what are they going to do to you? This life with Jesus is risky. I'm not telling you it's not. But you want to know what's missing in your life? Maybe it's the courage to go on this adventure with God and watch what he does through one person who is willing to say, yes, Lord. The adventure starts right now. Be strong and be very courageous. Let's stand. We'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we, your children, stand here today um, in some ways probably shaking in our boots. Um, you know, when you, you give us a message from your word that says you're going to have to stand up and be strong and courageous, it, it worries us. But God, I ask you to reassure us. I ask you to speak to our hearts the way you spoke to Joshua. I ask you to show yourself strong even in the small things that we might trust you in the big things. I ask you to lead us into little nooks and crannies and quiet places where you are working to change the world and let us just be a part of it. God, give us the courage. Encourage us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.